You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. So we're going to be looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer, what's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Um, really, sort of be rethinking prayer. Uh, you'll understand once we start to get to talk about it some. All right, because prayer is uh, prayer is worship, and being in Jesus, being in Christ as new creations and saints that we've talked about, that you are saints, right? That it is a privilege of ours in Christ to be able to to pray. All right, so. If we just jump right in here to Matthew 6, what's going on? It's the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So Jesus is dealing with these issues that are associated with the worship of God. And there was ones that were abused, okay? So the first 18 verses in chapter 6 is just warn against acts of worship that are done for the purpose of pleasing men rather than pleasing God. Sort of what the... The whole contrast in the Sermon on the Mount is, is like this. Um, it's sort of Moses 2.0, if you will. Uh, so we have the Pharisees in the crowd, the scribes, the Sanhedrin, possibly. We don't, you know, the, the Pharisees are in the crowd and they are hearing these words. And we start with a warning here in chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So, a warning, obviously here. If you practice your righteousness before men, he's saying they they will honor you for it. And that's your reward, right? Right? But if you do it for God, if you do it for God alone, men may not notice you. They may not honor you or even pay attention to you at all. They may not even know that you exist, but your reward is with the Lord. So the, po- the point here is the motive for the actions, okay? It's what is in the heart that matters, all right? So if you... if uh, if you think about that, it's the inward, or okay, we'll get to that. So we have you think about these hypocrites of Jesus's day, okay? They're pretending to be worshipers of God, right? We use the word hypocrite a lot. I know the secular. If we just that's popular to use the word the secular world looks at Christians, see something that happens. Oh, what a hypocrite! It's like not a hypocrite. Like we don't we just use the word so flippantly, you know? It's just like okay, we need to stop get a better definition here because my issue of whatever I did that makes you think I'm a hypocrite is an issue that you deal with too because I still sin, right? <laughs> I'm not holier than you and all that type. Well, I'm holier than them because of Christ, <laughs> all right, if we want to be biblical. 
a straight up hypocrite is somebody who says they are something and they're not that. All right. That's what the Pharisees were like. So the hypocrites, they're pretending to be worshipers of God when they were only trying to please men. So Jesus warned his followers not to be like them. Okay, so that these the things that we do to worship God, like giving and prayer, uh, they can turn out to be nothing but hypocrisy if our attitude isn't right. If we don't know the Lord, if it's to do it to please men, then the it's wrong. So if if it's not done for God's glory and His glory alone, it's not worship. So that's the context of the Sermon on the Mount. So you guys know I'm about context, so I'm just giving you some context here, okay? Old Covenant Israel were concerned about the outward and the outward alone. And Jesus says it's inward, and the inward motive will generate the outward, and that is what's seen, is seen by God, the, the inside. So in these verses, Jesus develops the content of prayer. All right. So the practice of prayer it is abuse. It could be abuse. You say that Jesus is not only going to warn about improper motives in praying, but about the content of the prayers as well. OK, so Jesus had warned against praying like the Gentiles did in in uh, in uh, earlier uh, in this, I believe. Sorry, I forgot to write that down. <laughs> but he was referring to their use of meaningless rep repetition. They prayed these same prayers over and over again. And thinking that by the repetition of their prayers, they were accomplishing something before God. But to Jesus, he's saying it's nonsense. Now, we can fall into this pattern by like reciting prayers, but when about all the stuff I'm about to say, there's nothing wrong with a reciting a prayer scripture. Okay, just get a little over overly dramatic for, for the the purpose of of what I'm going to preach on. Okay, so um, I I had a memorized prayer when I was a kid. You know, I I modeled this prayer uh, from my grandpa. Uh, I actually pretty much stole it from them, but what I did was take the bits and pieces that I thought was good, and I put those together, and I shaped this prayer, okay? He didn't say the same things over and over uh, every night, but I put one together, and, you know, I could recite it. Now I still memorize it, but every night I, I picked this, I prayed it, and it was as if, oh, I, I got to pray, I have to say my prayer, all right. It was good. There was nothing wrong with it. But the problem was this. The problem was with me because I just had memorized that prayer and it was meaningless and it really had nothing to it. It was an empty repetition. OK, but after I had said the prayer, I felt I had accomplished something before God. Right. And because of that, I was good. I felt good about that now. OK. I can go to sleep. Everything's cool. Die in the middle of the night. Tornado or something. Going to heaven now. I'm good. I prayed. I said my prayer. Okay. So I thought I accomplished the duty, right? But prayer shouldn't feel like that. It's not this duty. It's a privilege. Okay. Meaningless, empty repetition is a duty because it's foolishness. All right. It is. Uh, so many Hail Marys, okay? Think about the Catholic Church. I mean, come on. This is, what's that do? How many do I need to do? Okay. I mean, there's, is there anything actually going on in that interaction? Like, no. And we think we can get caught up in this stuff too. 
So the prayer that we're going to look at, and we're, we're not going to get very far today. We're just going to get the first couple of lines. Uh, but the, the, it, it's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, right? But it's, it's really, it's not the prayer that Jesus prayed. It's not his prayer. He didn't have to pray for forgiveness, right? <laughs> it's, just, it's called the Lord's Prayer because it's the header in our Bible. Because uh, men came up with it and that's it, all right? Uh, many people will misunderstand the Lord's Prayer to be a prayer that we should recite word for word. And there's nothing wrong with that. But some people treat it as if it is the magic formula type of prayer. Uh, as if the words themselves have the specific power or an influence on God. All right, But the Bible actually teaches the opposite. That God is far more interested in our hearts and when we pray, uh, then he is in our actual words or what's being what's going on in there. OK, so uh, let's just look. We know that in Matthew six, uh, six. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard by their many words. Okay, so in prayer, we're supposed to pour out our heart to God. All right. Um, it's not supposed to be something that's just like, oh, look at that, jump and like that and be scared <laughs> and be showy. Thunder. <laughs> that scared you, didn't it? <laughs> it's not supposed to be all showy. It doesn't matter if you sound gray. People do this all the time. I know we measure people. <laughs> we measure ourselves oh she prays so beautifully i can't pray like that you know like so what doesn't matter like pour your heart out before the lord that's all that matters it's not about how good the prayer sounds it's about what the prayer is about right and who is it being prayed to all right we know that in philippians 4 6 and 7 it says that the lord is at hand do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay? So this is simply not reciting memorized words to God. Okay? So, pray then like this, is how this, what Jesus is saying. Pray then like this or in this manner. So this is a suggestion here that this prayer is a pattern. It's not a litur uh, liturgical exercise. Uh, this is a pattern here. I'm going to show you how to pattern a prayer. Uh, there's nothing wrong, like I said, simply to say the prayer. We all often use scripture. I like to use scripture in prayer because the truth behind it and what it's saying, you know. But from this pattern, we are learning how to pray and the elements which ought to be in our prayers. And Jesus' pattern for prayer is this it's an illustration in contrast to the, the many, many, many words and vain repetition used by the hypocrite. Alright? One thing you'll notice about this prayer, and we'll do, I'll just read it real fast. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver, deliver us from evil. You can't talk. It's short and simple, to the point, right? Uh, there's nothing wrong with a long prayer either, unless you think that by the length of your prayer, you're going to make a point with God. <laughs> you know? Uh, it's probably not going to. But there's nothing wrong with that any more than there's anything wrong with asking God for something more than once, okay? That's okay. Jesus prayed the same thing three times in Matthew 26. That's not a vain repeta- repetition. Paul said he prayed uh, to the Lord about a, the burden he had three times, okay? So, so the, the caution against vain repetition is not implying that you are never to ask for something more than once or that you should not be persistent in prayer, okay? <clears throat> but you should not think that just because you make your prayers lengthy or repetitive, then you have more of a chance or more chance of God he- taking your prayers uh, seriously, okay? So I think the one thing I like to point out to, when I look at this is first we give praise to God and it's about Him and his kingdom and his will. And then it's about the provision for the, just the one day. Give me just the stuff you're going to, you know, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. We forgive people too. And the very last thing that's at hand here in this prayer is about being delivered from evil, right? Or some translations of the evil one and things. But if you start to look into Greek, we'll see this later once we get to this point uh, many weeks from now. But, you know, the evil there is not, the evil one uh, is added here and there. So evil, though, is about the us, the sin that we have in here. Deliver us from these temptations, like, to help us be, be, be our strength so we can overcome these things. So really, we're asking, d- deliver us from us here. <laughs> right? We're made new, but we're going to be tempted. We're going to ha- have these things to go through. So, uh Help us overcome these. And when we're tempted, we will overcome them by the victory that you've had. All right. So, of course, some people are going to say this is delivers from the devil. Well, still, I point out it's the very last thing of concern on the list of prayer here. Right. (laughs) Too many people spend way too much time talking to the devil and yelling at them in their prayer time. (laughs) All right. So. There are seven requests in this prayer, okay? And the first three are directed toward God and the exaltation of his character. And the last four are directed towards us and our needs. So the prayer starts out by focusing on God's character. And then it moves to draw attention to our needs. So today we're just looking at our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we should notice that it's addressed to our Father in heaven, or some translations say, who art in heaven. All right? This is... Just see the indication here. It points out, this is family context, right? We are God's children. We have a right to pray because we're members of his family. So we enjoy a family relationship with God. So the right to be the children of God is limited to those who believe in Jesus Christ. His name refers to who he is. And the children of God are those who believe in Jesus as the Son of God who died 
on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, right? And rose again to give us new life. So the children of God belongs to those who believe in Jesus and salvation comes only through him, right? Now, not gonna, that doesn't mean that God's not going to hear the prayer of the unbeliever. Just showing the, the privilege of the family right here to those that are children. And to be a child is to believe in Christ. Now, some people want to stress that the fatherhood of God is to everyone by saying we are all children of God. And they take this out of Galatians 3 and 26 as the, the, the basis for their approach that everyone's a son of God. Well, it's true that God creates and, and gives life. But the family relationship of the father and the child then is limited, though, to those who have come to redemption that God has provided in Jesus. And that's the point I'm trying to make, because it's necessary to read the whole verse in context to get the truth of Galatians 3, uh, 25 and 26 says. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. He's talking about believers. Faith in Jesus is the means of becoming a son of God. And for your ladies, daughters. So I just didn't write son and daughter all the time in my notes. (laughs) But because we as believers in Jesus are sons born into God's family through faith in Christ Jesus, God's spirit has taken up residence in us, in our lives, and the spirit now moves us to address God as our father, right? So our father limits the privilege here to those who are children of God through that faith in Christ. The phrase also denotes the warmth then and the closeness that his children have with God as their father. All right. Now, this this deals with an error that the Jews had actually allowed to develop within their framework because they weren't even willing to use the name of God any any longer because they saw such a distance between themselves and God. They saw God as being somewhere else with a great chasm between them and him. But the warmth of the family relationship is evidence in this introduction of this prayer. And this brings the confident uh This brings the confidence his children need to come boldly into his presence as the book of Hebrews encourages believers to do. All right. Now, also, just take a note. It doesn't tell us to pray my father. And I wouldn't be wrong to say that. But it's crucial here in this context that Jesus says our because the plural is important. All right. It reminds us that we are all part of one big family and we're in this body, right? Christ is the head and a family that stretches across across history. So our relationship with God is not separate from our relationship with others because we're in communion with God and with all who are in his family. We're all brothers and sisters, right? And then it goes on to say in heaven or who are in heaven. And this should remind us then of God's greatness, okay? Of his infinite elevation above us, if you will. That the emphasis is that he is the exalted God. The one who rules and is Lord. All right? So uh, 
this should correct maybe some of the errors that's prevalent in pop Christianity today. Uh, the uh, the over uh, familiarity and triteness. I got the word right. <laughs> Sorry, it's a. I have a word pronouncing. I have a problem pronouncing that word, and I was practicing that last night. And she was recording me. Familiarity. All right. There's this overemphasis on that and a triteness in addressing God. All right. God is our Father. Yeah, but He is the one who is in heaven. He is the exalted God. There's no room for this trite stuff that goes on sometimes, and and that's characterized so much in Christianity today. Pop Christianity or the evangelical industrial complex is what I call it. Uh, And the reason why is because it's important to recognize his holiness and his awesomeness. Some people seem to get too caught up and over familiarized with that type of stuff or they, 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 they seem like they don't understand what that means. That to be in awe and reverence of who he really is. Uh, instead of just like, you know, God, 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 do this right now, you know, or like commanding the Holy Spirit to do things and stuff like that and more and do and double up and stuff. And it's like, eh, I don't like to tell Holy Spirit what to do. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to be bossing him around. But that's my point there. Like when Isaiah was 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 with the Lord in Isaiah 6. He recognized God as lofty and exalted. He recognized that he was a man of unclean lips. He was a man full of iniquity. And he was overwhelmed by the holiness of the Lord, right? Now, I know we're in Christ. I know His holiness and His righteousness is ours. But there's still something magnificent about the Creator of all things in the universe that we need to have an allness about and reverence about, too. And... That's who art in heaven. That's what this is about. So it's important to keep a balance in this area because God is not a distant God. He's not distant. All right. The holy, righteous, awesome God is actually our father. And as children of God, we can enjoy the intimacy of that family relationship with him. But we are never to lose respect and awe of him in light of the fact that he is so awesome, such a great God, the creator of everything. So the first three petitions of the prayer then focus on the character of God. So we have hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name or some will say, let your name be kept holy. Or let your name be treated with reverence. This is actually interesting. Let your, hey, Lord, let your name be kept holy. <laughs> right? Like, the, it's a request that God would set himself apart. Well, that's interesting. You know, it's to display his holiness and to bring to himself the honor that is his. So this is, uh, this is a, a petition or a request, all right? It's not a declaration. It's a request to God that he would see to it that his own name be hallowed. So that's interesting to me. See, the opposite would be to profane God's name, to bring disrespect or dishonor to his name. But Jesus teaches us that as the first priority in praying 
is to ask that our Heavenly Father's name be hallowed. So what does hallow mean? We have to ask that, right? What are we asking God to do when we ask him to see to it that his name be hallowed? That's interesting, I think. All right, hallow means sanctify. Jesus tells us to pray, let your name be sanctified. Now, sanctify can mean make holy or treat us holy. And this is set apart. So since God is absolutely holy, the sense of the prayer is that God will be treated as holy. Right? So when God sanctifies us, it means that he makes us holy. But when we sanctify God, it means that we treat him as holy. Right? So Jesus is teaching us to pray that God would cause his name to be treated as holy. And then our question then becomes, what does it mean to treat God as holy? Right? That's what it does to me. All right. What are we asking God to do when we pray that he cause his name to be treated as holy? Right? Well, there's a lot of places in scripture we would, could go through tons. All right. That use the word hallow or sanctify or treat as holy. In, and in its relation to God, but and all these would give us an idea of what it means. All right. So if you think back in the Old Testament times and during the wilderness uh, wandering of the people of Israel, there was a time when they had no water and there was this right, this rock. People grumbled against Moses. God tells Moses to speak to the rock and to bring forth water. Moses gets angry, though, and he strikes the rock twice with his rod. Water comes out. Uh, and, but also so does God's judgment on Moses. <laughs> so Numbers 20 and 12, it says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy. And that would other translations say to hallow me in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. All right. So because you did not believe me to hallow me, in the eyes of the children of Israel. So these words help us understand that question of what it means to sanctify or hallow the name of God. It means to believe him. The first way to treat God as holy is to trust what he says. So God is not hallowed when we don't trust him. Not to us. He is anyway, but not to us in that moment. Now John said he... Who does not believe God has made him a liar. That's 1 John 5, 10. But when you, make, when you make somebody a liar, you profane that person's name, right? And this is the opposite of treating, uh, treating the person as holy. So not trusting God is the exact opposite of hallowing his name. And the first thing we mean then when we pray for God to cause his name to be hallowed is that he would cause us and others to trust him. Hallowed be thy name, all right? Trusted be you, your word. So we hallow the name of God when we keep his commands. We profane the name of God when we break them, when we sin. So when we pray, Father, let your name be hallowed, we mean, Father, cause your commands to be obeyed. Hallowed be thy name means obey, uh, obeyed be your commands in our life. God showing himself holy and his being glorified are the same thing. So when we pray this, we also mean glorified be thy name. And it's by our conduct and our walk of life that we 
are to glorify his name, all right? So this hallowed be thy name is a request. It's not a declaration. And we're not saying, Lord, your name is hallowed. We are saying, Lord, cause your name to be hallowed. That is because your, your word to be, cause your word to be delivered uh, cause your displeasure displeasure to be feared, cause your commands to be obeyed, and cause yourself to be glorified. You hallow the name of God when you trust Him then, when you fear Him, when you obey Him, and when you glorify Him. All right? Uh, Psalms 9, 10, it says, And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. See, those who know your name, it's those who know God's character. That's children of God. Those saved by Jesus through faith. To know God's character is to be able to trust him. God wants our trust, right? He, he wants our love. He wants our worship. But he wants our trust. In order to trust God... We, we must maybe see things in different views and lights sometimes. I don't know. Uh, sometimes we view our adverse circumstances through different set of eyes, but it should be through the eyes of faith. Because faith, we know, is pleasing to God. And uh, without faith, it was impossible to please Him. There's nothing else that we can do to please Him. Psalms 20. Uh, seven says some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So what he's saying, what the psalmist is saying is that we are not to trust in our own strength. Right. But but in God's strength and God's strength alone, we're able to trust in him when we remember his name, which is his character. All right. Now, um, we'll take a look at Isaiah 50. Verse 10, there it says, uh, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servants? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. All right, so I, Isaiah exhorted the servants to walk by faith, right? Trusting in the name of the Lord, trusting his character. The significance of a name in Scripture was that it revealed a character, okay? Uh, the name of God reveals his character. And this is why God is known by so many names. So today is just about the character in this and who God really is, his character. So uh, each name is revealed or, or reveals an aspect of his character and the benefit of that to us as believers, okay? Jehovah Ra. It means the Lord, my shepherd. And like a shepherd, the Lord leads and cares for his people, which whom are the sheep of his pasture, right? There's Jehovah Nissi, and it means the Lord, my banner. He's, he's the standard under which we rally as the people of God. He is our rallying point. Jehovah Jireh. So I got on my hands here, tattooed, means the Lord will provide. He heals in every way, all right? He provides, he gives provision. Jehovah Rapha means the Lord heals. Um, 
that he, he heals in every way, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Uh, Jehovah Shammah means the Lord is there. God is there when you need him. And there's no place where he's not. Jehovah Shalom is the Lord is peace. And through him we find true peace on the inside, right? It's not an emotion. Peace, uh, which is there even in the midst of trials and, 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 and storms. And then there is Jehovah Sid Kenyu. This is a big one. It means the Lord our righteousness. Because he is our righteousness. Through Christ, he imparts his righteousness to us. All right, so you can see then from the meanings of the names of God given in the Old Testament that each name not only reveals something of the nature and character of God, but it also reveals something of the provision of God promised through his name. So if we're going to trust God and hallow his name, we must first know his name. So hallowed be thy name. How, how, just think how easy, though, it is to say these words without the slightest thought of their profound and holy importance of what they really mean, right? So if we offer this, this petition from the heart, we desire that God's name may be sanctified by us and at the same time realizing that our utter inability to actually do this of ourselves. And a request like that denotes a, a longing to be empowered uh, to, to glorify God in everything that we do in our lives and that we may honor him in all uh, areas of our life. So God has di- displayed himself to us in his word and he's manifesting his, his glorious and holy perfections through this. He matches uh, or his matchless attributes of this you know, omniscience omnipotence, omnipresence, his moral moral character of holiness, righteousness, goodness, and mercy. This is all revealed in his word. It's his moral character is revealed through the titles like uh, the rock of Israel, him that cannot lie, the father of mercies, the God of all grace. And when we pray, that the name of God may be hallowed, then we are requesting requesting that his glory may be displayed and that we may be enabled then to esteem and magnify him by all we do. All right. Any questions? Any comments? <laughs>